Hey, let's pray as we come around the word this morning. Father, we just commit our time together, Lord, as we open up your word, Father, right now. And Lord, we ask that you help us, Father, as we uh, share around uh, concepts that cause us to thrive in life. Father, we commit it to you. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me this morning. Lord, words of spirit and words of truth. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So today's our last uh, week on Thrive. We've been talking over the last month about Thrive. Uh, we've, we've had our Vision Sunday, which of course you need a vision to thrive. I know Pastor Murray spoke on Thriving last week. And uh, so, so this week it's the last, uh, last message on Thrive. And then next Sunday we're going to uh, go to a theme called Law and Order Jerusalem. There's Law and Order Criminal Intent. There's Law and Order SVU. There's Law and Order UK. There's Law and Order LA. We are going to go Law and Order Jerusalem as we lead up to or we're going to investigate the murder of Jesus. So for the next four weeks, we're going to, uh, that's our theme uh, as we head towards Easter. But this morning we're talking about thriving in life. And I want to talk about probably one of the most uh, crucial aspects, I think is the, is the differentiator uh, when it comes to whether you thrive in life or whether you don't. It's not whether you get breaks. It doesn't matter whether you earn a certain amount of money. It, it doesn't matter whether people like you per se. This to me is one of the crucial, if not the most crucial thing that will cause you to thrive in life. And it comes down to this, and it's your attitude. When James, uh, William James, an American psychologist and philosopher, captured the fundamental significance of attitude in his profound words, he said, the greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering the attitudes of their mind. I'll read that again. William James, an American psychologist and philosopher, captured the fundamental significance of attitude in his profound words. The greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by simply altering the attitudes of their mind. Now, to define what an attitude is, an attitude is a mental state relative to what we believe, and it does infect our entire lives. It's a habitual way of thinking. It's a framework through which we interpret the world and interpret those things that happen to us. Whether you are a full glass type person or a glass half empty type person, attitudes are greatly influenced or greatly influence our lives, but are also greatly influenced by those around us, which means attitudes are contagious. Have you ever kind of had a bit of a down, uh, maybe you're having a down day or a down week, and yet you, maybe you walk into church and there's somebody like Murray at the front door, ready to kind of give you the biggest uh, bear hug in the world, and, and just, just his disposition, his hug, his, his outlook on life, it, it just lifts you that little bit, because attitudes are contagious. So it really is, in terms of our attitude, it really is important uh, who we hang around because they, 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 we, we kind of catch, catch it like a man flu. <laughs> now I want to read you something from Charles Swindle. Now this is an oldie. This has been around about 30 years, but it's so powerful and so illustrates the point, but I couldn't help but read it out this morning. And uh, I think we're going to put that little bit up on the screen. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures and success, than what people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. 
The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people act in a certain way. We cannot change inevitable. The only thing we can do is to play on that one string we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. That is so true. And it is so with you that we are in charge of our attitude. See, we really do have a choice in life on how and what our attitude is. But it seems that we have this, this mentality in life that we are victims, that we, that we just have to respond to, to situations rather than choosing how we respond. And this is what we've got to understand. God gave us the power of choice. It's the thing that defines us as humans. It's the thing that, that defines us from angels. God gave us the power of choice. And that's why he put two trees in the garden. So we would have a choice between one tree and the other tree. It's, it's the choice. It's a God-given thing. And we can walk out of this church today and we can choose to have an uncommonly positive attitude. Or we can choose to have a negative attitude and complain about everything. It's our choice. I, I think uh, I, I'm a fan of enthusiasm. Being incredibly enthusiastic. Let, let me tell you, and I'm not preaching on enthusiasm this morning, but I probably should at some point, because I think enthusiasm is another thing that causes you to thrive. Enthusiasm, the word uh, comes from the Greek, entheos, and it literally means possessed by a God. And it was used back in the 1600s as a derogatory statement to Christians. The people would point to them and say, oh, you are enthusiastic. It was kind of like, a, we may say back in the 70s and 80s, oh, you're holy rollers, or, or, or you're, you're a Jesus freak, or uh, you know, you're, you're kind of extreme in your, in your faith. They would say you're enthusiastic. But my Bible says that we are possessed by a God. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 16 says that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So I think that we should be the most enthusiastic people of, of, of the entire world, Christians. But you can choose whether you're enthusiastic, or you can choose whether you're a wet blanket. Just like we can choose whether we are a glass half full or a glass half empty type person. I remember reading, and this will be on the screen. I remember reading about a certain man who went to church one Sunday. He frowned when the organist missed a note. He glared menacing at two whispering teenagers. He looked repeatedly at his watch. And when the offering plate was passed, he felt that the usher was watching to see how much he gave. He sat tight-lipped during all the hymn singing. During the sermon, he felt pleased with himself when he caught the preacher making a slip of the tongue. As he sneaked out the side door during communion, he muttered to himself, this was a that was a terrible service, why do I bother? Another man went to, the same, went to church on the same Sunday. He chuckled at the sight of a father exchanging hugs with his toddler. During the offering, he wondered, God has given me so much, am I giving enough? He struggled honestly with the scripture readings to find a word to live by. Part of, the sermon, part of the sermon helped him with a question that he'd often thought about. He enthusiastically joined in the singing of the closing hymn, and as he left the church, he thought to himself, how good is it here to be together in the presence of God? Both men had gone to the same church on the same Sunday, and each had found exactly what he was looking for. Attitude makes all the difference. But sometimes it can, it can kind of be easy to, to find the negatives. It's, it's just part of life that, that it's easier to, to, to see the negatives rather than the positives. And, and again, I want to read something uh, before I start opening the scripture. 
here was a, a prayer that a lady wrote that she was frustrated because she had dirty laundry. She was frustrated because the kids were making too much noise. She was frustrated by the, the, the dishes in the kitchen. But she changed her attitude and wrote this prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this sink of dirty dishes because it means we have plenty of food to eat. Thank you for the pile of dirty, stinky laundry. We have plenty of nice clothes to wear. And I would like to thank you, Lord, for, those un- for the unmade beds that are so warm and comfortable last night. I know that many have no bed. My thanks to you, Lord, for this bathroom, complete with all the splattered, messy, soggy, grimy towels and the dirty lavatory. They are so convenient. Thank you for the finger-smudged re- finger refrigerator that needs defrosting so badly. It has served us so faithfully for many years. It's full of cold drinks and enough leftovers for two or three meals. Thank you, Lord, for this oven. And that absolutely must be cleaned today. It has baked so many good meals over the years. The whole family is grateful for this tall grass that needs mowing and the lawns that need raking. We all enjoy the yard. Thank you, Lord, for even, even for that slamming screen door. My kids are healthy and able to run and play. Lord, the presence of all those chores awaiting me says that you have richly blessed my family. I shall do them cheerfully and gratefully. Even though I clutch my blanket and growl when the alarm rings, thank you, Lord, that I can hear. There are many who are deaf. Even though I keep my eyes closed against the morning light as long as possible, thank you, Lord, that I can see for many are blind. Even though I huddle in my bed and put off rising, thank you, Lord, that I have the strength to rise. There are many who are bedridden. Even though the first hour of my day is hectic, when socks are lost, toast is burnt, and tempers are short, and my children are so loud, thank you, Lord, for my family. There are many who are lonely. Even though our breakfast table never looks like the pictures in a magazine and the menu is at times not balanced, thank you, Lord, for the food we have. There are many who are hungry. Even though my job is routine, often monotonous, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to work. There are many who have no jobs. And even though I grumble and bemoan my fate from day to day and wish my circumstances were not so modest, thank you, Lord, for life. Isn't that a great way of looking at life? It's so easy to complain. I was driving to a meeting I had at church uh, here 7 o'clock on Tuesday morning and I left home with enough time to be here for 20 minutes, uh, 20 minutes to 7. I got here at 25 past 7 because there'd been an accident on the M1. And I, heard, I, I found myself, because I'd been prepping my sermon and I knew what I was going to preach on this morning, and I found myself complaining about the M1, the Commonwealth Games, <laughs> and a few other things that I had a fair choice about, choice opinion about. But I found myself, I stopped myself and I started to pray for the people in the car accident, thanking God that it wasn't me, thanking God that my car is good, that it is safe and that, and and, you know, it's amazing how that changes the way you view the day. Because I could have turned up to my meeting whinging and complaining and and all that, but instead to come and go, you know what, I'm here and it's okay. Attitude is a choice. And it makes all the difference. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, there's a, in uh, Dayton, Ohio, at the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, they've developed planes that fly by thought. And they shave the head of, of the pilots and they put helmets on them and the, the electronic signals from the brain fly the plane. So if the plane is flying along and the pilot thinks, I want to bank right, the plane banks right. If the pilot thinks, 
uh, I, I want to increase my altitude, then the plane begins to increase altitude. Now for me, I'm thinking about that, I'll be going, if that was me, I'd be thinking, don't think about the mountain, don't think about the mountain, don't think about the mountain. But the quality of the flight is determined by the quality of the thought life of the pilot. And we are all flying a plane exactly the same. It's called the plane of life. And the quality of our thought life, according to the Bible, according to the Word of God, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The quality of our thought life will determine whether we increase in altitude or whether we hit a mountain. Attitude is everything. And I want to look at five reasons why attitude is important. The first reason attitude is important is because our attitude determines our approach to life, which I've kind of said already. But there was a story of a, of a, of a grandfather that fell asleep and he had his grandkids over and his grandkids decided they'd play a prank on him. So they went and got some Lindberger cheese out of the fridge and Lindberger cheese is the smelliest. It, it just, it stinks. Lindberger cheese stinks. And so what they did was they got the Lindberger cheese and they wiped it all over his moustache. So when he got up, Talus thinks that's funny. That's good, Talus. When he got up, he, he started to go, the world smells. And he started to think, the world smells bad. And he thought, maybe it's just because I'm around the kids. Maybe it's a nappy change situation. So he left the grandkids and kind of went to another room. And he thought, you know what? This room smells too. And so he thought, I'll go to the bedroom because, you know, hopefully that's kind of not as bad. He went into the bed. That bedroom, the, the bedroom smelled too. So he, to, to him, the world stunk. Until he realized what had happened and he cleaned his mustache off and the world smelled a whole stack better. But a negative attitude is like Lindberger cheese, that it doesn't matter where you go, the world's going to stink. And I've seen this happen where, where people go, you know, I remember in Nara, I had multiple people say, you know, well, I'm going to leave now and I'm going to move to, I'm going to move to, to Ballina or I'm going to move to Sydney because I don't like what's happening in Nara. And I used to say to them, the problem is you go with you. So if you've got a negative attitude about Nara, you're going to have it in Ballina too because you are you, like you are going with the Limburger cheese. And our attitude determines our approach to life. Secondly, our attitude determines our relationship with people. At dinner the other night, well, yes, last night with David and Shirley, and David was talking, we were talking about church and hugs and stuff and, uh, and the greeting time. And David said, I love the hugs that Murray gives. Do you know why you love the hugs that Murray gives? Because when Murray goes to hug you, he doesn't go, well, today's a stinkingly bad day and I'm going to give you a hug, but I don't really know you and I don't really like you and uh, I don't know, I don't even like the way you look. So come here and I'll come on, hug it in, I've got to hug you. Murray's not like that. Murray gives a hug and it's a big smile. There's, a, there's, there's often a story or a comment or a, and, and, and he brings in and he hugs you and, and then he hugs you a little bit more and then you try and fight to get away, but he's just so excited to see you. Murray's like, the, Murray's like the Doberman of CityNet. When you have your pet dog and you walk up, you know, the, the, the whole body shakes with excitement. Murray's like that. But don't you want to be around Murray? 
because he's got that infectious kind of, and so you want to be around people that were nice. If, you, if Murray was a whinging, complaining, negative person, you'd kind of see him at the door. In fact, he wouldn't be on the door because I'd say, Murray, can you go and stand? Yes, over there. Um, just leave the friendly people at the door. The reality is that our attitude determines our relationship with people. Our relationship, number three, our relationship is often the only difference between success and failure. I want to tell a personal story that to me actually was a, a pivotal fork in the road for my life. When I was in year seven, I had a brilliant sister that was in year nine. If anyone's had a brilliant sister that's above them, it sucks to be in the same school. <laughs> Particularly when you are not as brilliant and you have a stinking attitude about school. So think about year seven. I'm year, I'm year seven. I've got, an, I've got an attitude. I'm a redhead, so I've got a temper. I've just got everything just is bad. I didn't want to be in school. Uh, and so year seven, uh, year eight, I'm, I'm raising hell. Toward the end of year eight, I remember distinctly, I was in a, a science class and a teacher came in and the teacher looked at me and looked at the teacher and said, oh, you've got a pilt in your class. And the teacher said, yes. And uh, he said, how's Pilt going? And the teacher said, he's got some challenges. Uh, I mean, this was before the days when you could actually tell the truth to your children. To the t anyway, we won't go there. And the, the teacher said, the, the, my teacher said, oh, he didn't hand in his homework. The other teacher said, well, I've got Bronwyn in my class and I never have to worry about whether she turns in her homework. And I, I, remember, I remember this class and this conversation like it was yesterday. Because to me right then, my future hung in the balance. Because I could have gone, you know what, I'm going to show you and I'm going to do my homework less. I'm going to muck up more in class. I'm just going to be a stinker and I'll, I'll show you. Or alternatively, and this is what actually happened, I thought to myself and I thought, I'll show you. And I pulled my, my socks up, my shoes up, my pants up and started to work hard. And by the end of year nine, so a year later, I was in number one classes for everything I was doing. I got straight one A's in my report. It took a year. The difference was my attitude. And so our attitude is the difference between success and failure. Because I could have gone down a whole different pathway and it would have actually, at that pivotal point in time, that would have actually changed my direction. Because if I had to continue on the direction I was and kind of amped it up a bit, I would never have been able to go to uni. I would never have been able to do the things that I've done. And, and my life would have turned out very different. And it all came down to my attitude. Number four, why is attitude important? Our attitudes give us an uncommonly positive perspective. So the children of Israel, when they came out against Goliath, the children of Israel said, he's so big we can't kill him. David's attitude was, he's so big I can't miss. I think as Christians, in fact, this is my next point, our attitude is not automatically good just because we're Christians. We have to make positive choices. In fact, can I, can I be really honest? Okay, let, let's just come a little bit closer. I actually find that sometimes it's Christians that have the worst attitude. But I think, what if we as a church were uncommonly enthusiastic, uncommonly positive, 
faith-filled people with a great passion for life that as everybody came in, they're all getting Murray hugs and they're all around people. And people look at City Net Church and go, I want to come to church because it's filled with positive people. I'm inspired by the worship. I'm inspired by the fellowship. I'm inspired by the people. And, and you know, I, I come to church and I walk out just so ready for life for the next week. Wouldn't that be an awesome church to be in? Well, let's make it so because it's our choice. Now let's open the Bible a little bit. Four positive biblical attitudes to have to cause you to thrive. The first one is, give me the mountain. Caleb in Joshua 14 says, and let, let, me, let me frame this up a little bit. Caleb and Joshua left with Moses and about 600,000 people left Israel and walked seven days across the wilderness to get to the, to the Jordan River. Caleb and Joshua were two of, ten, uh, two of 12 spies that were sent across the Jordan River to spy out the land. When the, when the 12 spies came back, 10 of them gave a bad report, two of them gave a positive report. And, and we all know the story that the children of Israel said, uh, we're not going to go across, we're too scared. So then... Caleb and Joshua had to walk in the wilderness for 40 years as a punishment for the nation of Israel complaining and whinging. 40 years they walked and waited for the call of God that they knew the dream they had. They had to wait 40 years. Moses dies. Joshua becomes the leader. Caleb then says, and, and we, we uh, hear in verse 10, it says, he's talking to Joshua, he says, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. That's talking about the original spying expedition. Just as my strength was then, so it is now my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you have heard that in that day how the Anakim were there, the giants of Anak, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. What an incredible attitude. I mean, he could have got bitter those 45 years that he's wandered in the wilderness taking punishment for somebody else, growing old in, in, in what is he's now, 85. But then he says, come on, Joshua. Give me the mountain. Let me, let, let me, let me take this on. And, and I'll even love the attitude. He says, it may be, it's not a guarantee, but it may be that the Lord will be with me and I'll be able to drive them out. He didn't want just some little easy kind of pathway where he goes, well, Joshua, you know, I'm 85 years old now. Can I just have, don't give me, don't give me a fortified city on a mountain with giants. Can you give me, just a little, a little country town that I can surround and fight for them. But instead he says, give me the mountain. What a tenacious way of looking at the world. We need to be people that will say, you know what, God, give me the mountain. Ask big of me. God, I don't want just a small assignment. I want you to ask big of me. I want you to give me the mountain. What a great attitude. The second attitude in the Bible that I see is a can-do attitude. Philippians 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. What a motivating verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think we should be a people 
that are yes people. That if I was to ask you, hey, you want to lead a home cell? It shouldn't be all the reasons why. Well, I haven't really taught anything and I don't really know. And, and it should just be a yes. Or if, if, can, you lead, can you host a, a home cell in your church? Yes. That we, would, that we would believe God that God is with us. Can you do that? Yes, I will. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The third biblical attitude that I think we should have is a servant attitude. Matthew 20 and verse 26 to 27, it says, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him first be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. I, I think there's a, there's an, we need an attitude in church that we are here to serve one another. That we, 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 we lose the consumerist mentality that is often so much in society. That, that we just consume and we, we pay or, or we, we expect it for free, but we just consume and other people serve. I remember I had a, a lady in, in Nowra Church one time and uh, she had left the church and gone somewhere else. And uh, she came back after a few years. And she'd been in church, but she'd been back for about six months. And I, I thought it was time that she stepped up and started to serve. And so I said to her, I said, where are you going to serve in the life of Nowra City Church? And she said to me, and I still remember this, she said, it's my turn to be served. So she said, I'm not going to do anything. She said, this church can serve me. And I thought, I feel like I'm talking to the devil. The, the, the kind of attitude that, that the devil would have that, you know, I, I, I want to be like God. I want you to, to, to come and serve me. What, what an incredibly bad attitude. but that we would have a servant heart, that we would serve people. Servant attitude. Number four, that we would be a risk taker. Take a risk. Faith, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Now, I look at that and I go, if we really believe that scripture, that the just, that's the Christians, that the Christians will live by faith, what this is saying is that, that we need to live a life that is so far out of the boat in terms of Peter walking on water. Because when, when Peter was uh, on the boat, Peter and the 12 disciples were on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus comes to them walking on water, they get freaked out. And so Peter says, hey, Jesus, if it's really you, bid me to come. And so Jesus says, okay, we'll get out of the boat. So now Peter's got to put his faith in action and he actually steps out of the boat onto the water. He's now in the realm of faith. The 11 disciples are still scared on the boat but he's in the realm of faith. So when, when Paul says in Romans 5 that the just shall live by faith, what it's talking about is we need to be getting out of the boat, out of the comfort of what we know and the security of, of, of the boat and get out into the realm of the miraculous. That we would believe God for things that we would be believing God, that we would have a, a large prayer list, that we would dare to believe that God would save our family, God would save our work colleagues, God would save uh, those that our neighbourhood, that we would dare to believe that God would work in us and through us, that we would have big faith and big expectancy because we're out of the boat. 
Peter got the miracle, the 11 disciples, the dry, dry uh, boat worshippers, because when Jesus came back, they started worshipping him. It's no good worshipping Jesus when you're in a dry boat. You worship Jesus when you're out in faith, because the Bible says in Hebrews 6 that, that faith pleases God. So it's only when you're out of the boat, taking a risk in God, that's where faith is. When Melanie and I took on this church, I mean, I had a job. I wasn't looking for a job. I had a job. I had a full-time job. I didn't need a church. I had a great church. I was in church in Elevation Church. And then this opportunity came along. And for Melanie and I, it's a risk. I mean, number one, you could have all just been, well, I don't, we don't like these people. <laughs> we're, we're going. That would be kind of unfortunate. There's nothing to say the church is going to grow. It's a risk for us. But I would rather take a risk and have, have, a, have, have faith around my life than be outside the boat than be up here saying, well, we won't take a risk because we're too scared. We've got to be risk takers as people. And I love this illustration. Go to the next photo. This is great. Your comfort zone, where the magic happens. It's very true. All right, I'm going to wrap this up by quickly telling you five wrong attitudes of people in the Bible that we should avoid. Number one's a grasshopper attitude. In Numbers 13, 31, so this is when the children of Israel sent the 12 spies over into the land. Uh, when they come out of Egypt, they've gone seven days across the wilderness. They sent spies over into the land. Ten of them have come back with a negative report. This is the neg negative report. They said, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they'd spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw uh, are, are there are men of great stature. Then we saw, there we saw the giants of Anak and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and we were in their sight as well. So they never asked the giants of Anak what did they think of the children of Israel? They projected a grasshopper mentality and they said, we were, like, we were like grasshoppers in our sight and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Now you go forward 40 years when the spies were sent again out into the wilderness and they went to Jericho and, and Rahab and the, the spies actually say, hey, have you heard of the children of Israel and their God? And Rahab says, we have heard and we are afraid. So the giants of Anak could well have been afraid of the children of Israel, but because they had this grasshopper mentality, this, this I don't, I don't, I, I'm, just, I'm just small, I'm insecure, I'm, I'm inferior. We've got to lose the grasshopper mentality and have the give me the mountain mentality. The second attitude that we need to lose is the negativity against God. Gideon was a guy and uh, he was asked, God came to him and said, hey, I want you, to lead the children of Israel in a battle against the Midianites. And Gideon shakes his fist at God and says this. He goes, um, I'll just jump down to it. In verse 13, Gideon said, Oh my, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are, where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. There's a fist shaking. Well, where are you, God? That whole kind of negativity against God, that disappointment with God. 
I see it sometimes as Christians. Now, they may not be fist shakers, but there's just this attitude just that, that creeps in when maybe God, pray, God, when prayers haven't been answered, when we find in a situation we, we want to be in a different situation than what we're in, but we're in this situation, and so we blame God. But to lose that attitude, to change it, to say, you know what, God, I trust you. Regardless of what my circumstances are, I put my trust in you. The third mentality that we need to lose in the corner of the Bible is a Judas mentality. Matthew 26, 6 to 11. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flocks of... Uh, alabaster flocks. Alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head and he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant and said, Why this waste for this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor? But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. You know, a, a, a Judas mentality is a poverty mentality. Just a, a, just a small thinking when it comes to, to finance and money. I remember I had a, I, I'd been in Nara church for a couple of years and uh, I, I drove a kind of a beat up Fairlane or Fairmont and my executive said right we're going to lease you a car because we were taking on other churches and other responsibilities I was driving a lot and so they, they, I bought a, just a brand new Commodore just a standard Commodore no bells and whistles I had a guy leave the church because he said the pastor shouldn't drive a brand new car now, rather than look at the big picture of the fact that a car keeps me safe and having a nice car and it's a country town and I'm driving many kilometres, but it's that poverty mentality. And we need, we need to be thinking big, all the time thinking big about what we do with our finance and having faith. As the worship teams come up, the last two attitudes uh, is a juniper tree attitude. This was found, this is Jonah in the wilderness. Oh, sorry, actually Elisha in the wilderness, Elijah in the wilderness. Elijah, uh, he... It says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. And he gave up. And he actually, if you read the rest of that story, uh, he, he gave up on life, gave up on ministry, actually was, was suicidal. He said, you know, I just, I just want to give up. But you know, there, there's, sometimes in life we can give up with things. Maybe we give up in, in, in our ministry call. We, we, we just give up. But, but I think to have an attitude, that give me the mountain attitude, take a risk attitude. I love a, a quote by Theodore Roosevelt. And it says, Far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy or suffer much because they live in the grey twilight that, need, know, that neither knows victory nor defeat. I think that we need, particularly as you get older, I think as you get older, you, you know, you've got the, the youthful exuberance of uh, being in your 20s and 30s. But I've seen as, 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 as people get older, it's almost like they settle. They, well, you know, this is our lot in life. But I think God's calling us for more. I think even, even in our older age, in, in our older years, we're calling us, God's calling us for more. This, this last month we gave Betty. Where's Betty? 
Betty, there. We gave Betty our, our Platinum Towel Award. It's the, the honouring that we give each month to somebody who just serves amazingly. And here, are, here is Betty. I don't know, Betty, are you, what, 52, 53? Uh, a woman in her uh, slightly, not old, but older years, still serving the house of God. I love that. I, th- I think that's the attitude that we need to have. And last one is having a victim mentality, which I think is rampant across the world right now, across Australia. We're all victims. Everyone's a victim. We're a victim because our teacher told us no and sat us in the naughty corner. We're a victim because whatever. But Adam and Eve had a victim mentality. Galatians 3 verse 10, Then the Lord God called Adam and said, Where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you to eat? Listen to what Adam says. Then the man said, The woman... Whom you, who, no, the woman who you gave. She gave me of the tree and I ate. Then the, God said, then the Lord God said to the woman, what's this you've done? And the woman went, the snake. The serpent deceived me and I ate. I mean, we're all looking for people to blame. It's somebody else, it's our school teachers, it's Barnaby Joyce, it's somebody that we want to point the finger to and say, this is my lot in life is because of that. But reality is, let's take responsibility for where we are today and say, you know what, Jesus, come and fix my attitude. I take responsibility. I own where I'm at. And from now on, I'm going to be incredibly enthusiastic and incredibly positive in my attitude because it comes down to your choice. That's what it is. It's your choice. I'm going to read one more illustration and then I'm done. Promise. Both the hummingbird and the vulture fly over the desert. All vultures see is rotting meat because that's what they look for. They thrive on that diet. But hummingbirds ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals and instead they look for the colourful blossoms of desert plants. The vultures live on what was, they live on the past, they fill themselves with what is dead and gone, but hummingbirds live on what is. They seek new life, they fill themselves with freshness and life. Each bird finds what it is looking for, we all do. When you walk out of this place, church, you have a choice. You can either have a positive attitude or you can have a negative attitude. You can either walk out and go, well, I'm not going to stay for lunch, the line's too big. Or you can say, how awesome is it that the line's big, the church is growing. See how it is? We can just change. And I believe that's, that's godly character in us. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, today for the challenge, God, of, of how we can thrive. Father, for the challenge of our attitude. And Father, I pray right now for the Holy Ghost, Lord, to be over every single person here this morning, God, and challenging them about their attitude. And God, I, I pray, Lord, that you, you, you start to talk with each person individually and Lord, help them, Father, to have an uncommonly positive, enthusiastic attitude. 
As every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Maybe there's some people in the church today that don't know Jesus. Every Sunday we give opportunity for people to accept Christ as their Lord and their Saviour. If you don't know Jesus, Jesus is the Saviour of the world. We're coming up to Easter. We celebrate the fact that Easter died on the cross for us. He rose three days later. You won't find that in a Law and Order episode. But Jesus died for our sins. That we would go from a lost eternity to an eternity of heaven. Is there anybody here this morning that would raise their hand? Just uh, We're not going to bring you out the front. We just want to pray with you. I just want you to just show me your hand. I'd love to just know that, that you're just accepting Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And, and we will just pray for you. Is there anybody this morning that raise their hand and say, Peter, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life today. Father, we thank you for the cross. Father, as we're in the lead up to Easter, Father, I pray, Lord, that you send people to us, Father, that need to know Christ. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we finish off this morning. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would love to pray with you. If you're sick here this morning, maybe you've got a, maybe you've got a stinking attitude. Maybe you just say, God, you know, help me with my attitude. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, stay and have some food and fellowship in the cafe. Have a great Sunday. Have a great week. And I'll see you next Sunday. Thanks.